Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my friends. Thanks for tuning in to the Gamut of Solomon podcast. I'm your host, Solomon, and I'm very grateful to be able to share these meaningful conversations with people close to me. If you'd like to stay up to date with more information, such as blogs or podcasts, check out SolomonEzra.com. That's S-O-L-O-M-O-N-E-Z-R-A.com. Or check me out on social media where I put out the word about my podcasts. Thank you. Our guest today is none other than the University of Dallas's own Dr. Richard Olenek. Not only did he leave an impression on me with his passion for teaching, but also his passion and dedication to his calling. Dr. Richard Olenek currently serves as a professor of physics, and he's a teacher of popular courses in physics and astronomy, and even Russian. What? Dr. Olenek served as the associate project director of the PBS television series, The Mechanical Universe, and Beyond the Mechanical Universe. He was also principal author of accompanying textbooks published by Cambridge University Press. He has also received numerous grants from the National Science Foundation and the U.S. Department of Education for the development of curricular material for use in high schools and for workshops for high school physics teachers. I am grateful to be able to welcome today's guest. And now that I'm out of college, I can call a friend. Dr. Olenek. Hello, everyone. I'm here today with another stellar, pun intended, teacher from the University of Dallas that left a strong impact and impression on myself because I sensed they were passionate with what they do with its teaching. So today I'm here with Dr. Olenek, who for me, he was a teacher of astronomy, but he also does a lot of different things. And Dr. Olenek, have any a strong introduction about yourself. What else are you doing? <laughs> well, I teach physics at all levels and uh, do research in astronomy and astrophysics. Occasionally teach Russian and mathematics also. Mm-hmm. So I love teaching things. Um, I like nature a lot. Of course, yeah. being in astronomy, you like dark skies and the, being able to see stars and other things. Mm-hmm. So I like being out in nature, I would say, is another Okay. Well, let's start with uh, astronomy, because that was one, the course that I took. And, you know, I love different things about nature as well. But sometimes, I'll admit, maybe I forgot to look up. (laughs) What is it about astronomy that you're just kind of, you're so passionate about that when you go out to the mountains, which are beautiful in nature themselves, but when you're also in those mountains to look up, what are you looking at that's like, oh my goodness. Well, you know, what's cool about the mountains in the daytime, you've got all this yeah, beauty. Yeah, it's true, it's true. And then at night, you have this darkness. And, you know, we miss that in cities. You know, a lot of students have never seen the Milky Way. So I would say one of the grandest things to see in the mountains or in nature away from cities would be the Milky Way. I just think it's phenomenal to see all those stars and, you know, wonder and, and think of how Know, they ever came across the idea that there were stars up there because originally they didn't you know it's the milky way literally and so i think astronomy pulls you in very easily when you start to see literally yeah. <laughs> and then um you know even i'll tell you a couple weeks ago um there was a full moon and i was out walking my dogs at night and i looked at it and i was like oh my gosh i can see so many more craters than i've ever seen before 
And I go, okay, why is he doing that? And I noticed there were some kind of thin clouds there. And so, so then the, the second aspect for me is, you know, to analyze and understand why I was able to see that or how do things work. And in that case, I found out it was the, um, the high clouds were just about right to block out some of the brightness of the full moon so that I could actually see those other craters. They weren't overwhelmed mm -hmm. by the areas that were so bright, reflecting the light to us. So, you know, that, that's kind of neat. And I've, you know, I've probably seen the full moon thousands times yeah. and you know to get something new out of it so i think there's always surprises up there that can uh, can do it and, and another thing is a lot of what we study is intangible because um, we can't expand you know in astronomy astrophysics you can't experiment directly on the things so you really get to appreciate human creativity and how hmm. we can figure out what's going on out so far away and and you know how we start with evidence and then progress to having some kind of models of these things. And then you, you find some, you know, kind of neat effects at times. So we recently, last summer, I had a student working with me, and we were analyzing some data from the Kepler satellite. And um, lo and behold... It's the UD bell for everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> we, we found that um, this planet, exoplanet, which had been studied, uh, we added our measurements to some historical ones, and we could predict that the planet's going to crash into the star in about um, 90 million years. So that was kind of the, neat. the planet is going to crash into the star. Yeah, because it's really close. It's so close, it's actually in the corona of the star. It's losing mass, and it's spiraling in very, mm -hmm. very gradually. So, and the planet is about, I think, five times the mass of Jupiter, so it's a pretty hefty planet. But um, you know, you can, you can predict that it has a limited lifetime on it. And also today, uh, some Discovery Magazine had top 10 weirdest astronomy things, and that planet was in there yeah. because um, they've also said it probably rains glass, molten glass on this planet. <laughs> kind of a strange thing because it's so That's hot crazy. And things. So anyway, figuring out stuff like that intrigues me is how do you, you start with just observations of the light and conclude planets going to crash in or other things that are happening well what's the one like with uh, telescopes how do you really tell um you know if you're when we're looking at a um like the milky way like the edge of our galaxy or i mean you, you can tell there are different tells for you know noticing if it's a star but well one of the things is most importantly is you have to know where you're looking and then you're trying to measure the distance to things. And so um, we have lots of ways in astronomy now to measure distances to stars. And we have so many satellites out there that now, um, for example, there's the um, Gaia satellite and its job is to measure positions and motion of satellites extremely well. And from those measurements we can deduce distances. So, so we get to know that, and then, um, you know, I like using this Kepler data because uh, it's extremely good data. It's outside our atmosphere. It's, it's very, very good. And just this past uh, fall, NASA decommissioned the satellite. It ran out of propellant to keep it oriented mm -hmm. to, to um, get a, a month's worth of data. And I was really sad. I felt I was losing a, a good friend uh, because... 
I've been working with data for for the last three years. Wow. So, um, you know, it, but anyway, we have we have ways of doing it. And then the other thing is you always have to um, know exactly, make sure what you're looking at is the same thing that maybe somebody else has looked at or things you have to, you know, cross check everything mm -hmm. with, with other people and make sure it's the exact same coordinates and stuff. And that's kind of... Uh, takes a amount of effort to do, but it's extremely important, so you, you do it. So that's how we kind of know where we can zoom in on what we really yeah. are studying. You mentioned earlier that uh, when you're out looking in the, diff in the, in the, the sky, uh, there's a lot of different surprises, which is, which is awesome. But we also know and have tracked different patterns with knowing the distance and you know, different revolutions and how you know, our galaxy is moving, we've kind of pinpointed, like you even mentioned, uh, we can predict what's going to happen, like, far as this planet crashing, um, where, where are the, the surprises that are still <laughs> lied out there? Oh, there's a lot. Um, there's things called um, gamma ray bursts, I'm trying to understand more, that it's really energetic, probably supernovae that are generating these. Um, there's also um, fast radio bursts, which they just have picked up a bunch of them. We don't really know what's causing them. So those are kind of surprises. And then um, we had one this summer, uh, which I'm trying to finish writing up for a journal. Uh, there's a very well-known binary star. It's an algal-type binary star. And this one's been studied a lot. So, you know, but we had Kepler data on it, and it was... Um, really good Kepler day over five years. So I gave my student the task of um, doing a certain analysis on it. It's a very tedious assignment, but I knew he was very good at doing things like that. And so he did it. And lo and behold, we first of all found that mass is being transferred from one star to the other. Okay, kind of suspected that. But then the leftover was like this curve. And that meant that there's another body there tugging on it. So, Crazy. Uh, we, so then I had to learn, okay, well, how do you do all the astrodynamics to figure this out? So I got all that down and found out that there's a planet that's about uh, the size of Neptune, and it's probably a distance of four astronomical units, four times the distance we are from our sun, four astronomical units from this pair of stars. So it's called a circumbinary planet. And what really killed me was no one had found this in the data because no one did this kind of tedious analysis. And then I found a paper that referred to it, and they were looking at all this, and I'm like, their error is so much bigger than ours. What's going on? You know? And then finally, they got a few points at the very end, and that's where we started. It was at the very end where, we, where the error became very small. I don't know why the guy didn't just keep on going. So he missed uh, a discovery. So I, I wow. thought it was kind of interesting. So we're quite excited, and my student will be giving a poster on this at a NASA meeting in March. Wow, so many uh, vocabulary questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, not a problem. I love it. What uh, with this astronomy, there's you know we can keep going outwards and looking at different things you know, and different wonderful experiences. I know one I want to see, I'll ask about later is, you know, I, want, I really want to see the aurora lights. But what can astronomy really 
help us with maybe looking more inward and helping us with our life? Yeah. Um, I've actually thought about that a lot this past year. And part of it is that, um, you know, the universe is so big. There's, you know, trillions of galaxies, Mm -hmm. trillions of stars, even more trillions of planets. And so, you know, are we, do we matter in the universe? Another pun. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) And so I would say that... Do we matter in the universe? Yeah, I mean, you know... Look at uh, rocks collide, eventually form stuff. You know, there's the extinction of the dinosaurs. What would happen if we were gone? You know, so what? What? What do we mean? You know, what's what's so what's so big about humans? You know, kind of thing. And I came to the conclusion that um, we may be inconsequential to the universe because it's so big, and we have no control. We can't control how planets move. We can't control. Um, if an asteroid is going to hit the Earth, we may eventually, but not right now. And, um, but the thing was, we are not insignificant in the universe because we have minds that can grasp all this stuff. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's what amazes me. I mean, humans just are so amazing that we have figured out so much not just out in astronomy but down you know to the cellular level like our own kind of our own kind of astronomy i guess you know in a sense yeah yeah it's fascinating to me as well and so i think it says to me that um you know never give up because this isn't you know inconsequential but you you do have something there which is this mind and you know we should we should work with it. We should um, develop our mind as much we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be as rational as we can on everything. And um, I think that's how we are uh, important in the sense of the universe. What do I... Obviously, there is a, a strict definition to rational. But what do you say... What Sorry, what do you mean by rational? Because... I think there is also a place for imagination. Right. Oh, because no, that's. I, I agree. I think. I think imagination is probably. It's more. more it's stronger than it's knowledge. Stronger. Stronger because I think without imagination you don't progress. I think you have to have imagination to progress. Mm-hmm. But I'm using rational as a sense of understanding things. Okay. Um, that you you search, not just on a surface and look at things. But you want to know more about it in delve. Curiosity. Curiosity, so I guess it would be curiosity. Yeah. So something you're passionate about as well. I have a question then. Uh, it came up like uh, through during that. We're looking outwards in, in the space and for all these different things. You know, even some people potentially looking for aliens and whatnot. Do you think... A, I like this question. It's if we keep looking outward kind of thing, or all we really do to be able to see and notice maybe other beings is just raise our consciousness. I think it's raising our consciousness is what it, really? it ultimately does. There was um, a quote I used to know from T.S. Eliot. It was something, uh, to see a world in a grain of sand in heaven in a wild flower, hold infinity in the palm of your hand, and eternity in an hour. 
Wow. And I'm going to that, go, I'm gonna go from, get that quote. That's actually from Blake, I think. That's from Blake, William Blake. But I think there's that of this infinity um, that's out there that we can kind of comprehend. And then there's eternity and time, which is another big mystery to us. And physicists are really delving back into trying there to is understand no time. what time is. There yeah. is no time. Well, a lot of people think it's an illusion. And um, the latest theory is that uh, in the Big Bang, there was a parallel universe created in which time flows backwards there. Whoa. But it was... And would, they, would they ultimately come full circle? It might, yeah. So. Well, I mean, I can, see, I can see kind of both sides because, you know, even if we're talking about the past or the future, it's happening now. So, right, right. It's now. So, so I mean, the real definition of time is is always just an instant. That's what it is. And uh, but we, um, but thinking about you know historical time and projecting things into the future, I think is is quite amazing that we can do that. Well, well, what piece of advice would you give to someone that wants to get into, you know, astronomy and all the other? increasing consciousness even that we're talking about well i like correlating the astronomy and the interstellar kind of sure. knowledge to our our ourselves sure um i would suggest there's a few good books to read like hawking's brief history of time it's a real good introduction to kind of cosmology um i would also urge people to read a few short stories from our science fictiony, but uh, Dragon's Egg is one of the really I think you ones. mentioned that one in class. Yeah, yeah, I really like Dragon's Egg because it tells about life evolving on a on a neutron star and it's uh, it's just That's I thought very really creative. And then it's um, nonfiction and fiction? What what do they call it? Or well it's it's nonfiction in the sense the science is mm -hmm. correct, at least the physics part is correct. I don't know about the biology. Do they have a term for that kind of book? Like nonfiction fiction? Fiction no? I don't uh, know. I don't I could know. use a non uh, a fiction book, so I'll go yeah, read it. Yeah, maybe it may be fiction. And then the the other thing is um, you know People should get a telescope or go to an observatory at a college or something if they have an open night. Start to look at things and, and explore. And then I think you start following what you're really aspect of it you're interested in. What are the best, where are the best places to go? I know you, you mentioned uh, before we started recording you have a place now in North Carolina. Yeah, so it's pretty dark there when it's not raining. But it's, uh, it's very dark in the mountains. So anywhere you're... If you're 30 miles from a city, you're pretty good usually for starts. If you want a really dark place, you go to West Texas, um, Fort Davis, um, where McDonald Observatory is. It's extremely dark skies there. Um, Colorado, you know, away from Denver and away from ski resorts, you have dark skies. So places generally far from large cities, I think you'll be able to see a lot. And if I want to go see the Aurora Lights eventually? You should go up to Alaska. Or, no, better yet, I want to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. All right, I'm on the air, Dr. Lennon and I are going to, uh, we're, we're starting going to, an event. We're going to Iceland. Wow, we could raise the fun and invite some people. Yes, Iceland, <laughs> Iceland, actually it's fairly cheap to fly to Iceland. Sounds like a good idea to me. And Discuss Iceland's more. very green, you know, they use a lot of thermal. In fact, I think Reykjavik is all thermoelectric. 
energy generated from uh, the fact the, the Earth is warmer underground. And, uh, but you see, almost every night, you'll see the northern lights. So if you ever go to the website, I know I mentioned astronomy, spaceweather.com, they often have pictures from people that submit of the auroras. <laughs> so I would, I, would go to, I would go to Iceland or Alaska. Alaska it's, all, it's in the plan. Okay. <laughs> oh, I really like that idea. That would be cool. Um, a little bit back towards like the, the raising consciousness. I was listening to this podcast by Mind Valley um, earlier this week. And they were talking a little bit about a blue, blue, the little blue marble experiment or something. What exactly is? Well, I think what they might have been referring to was uh, on December 25th was the 50th anniversary of Apollo 8, which went around the moon. Okay, they didn't land, they just went around yeah. the moon. And many people think it actually is more significant than Apollo 11, where Armstrong was the first on the moon. The mm -hmm. reason being, um, they were going around the moon and taking pictures to try to find landing sites, okay? But, uh, so they had a person, Anders, was on there to do photography. But they came around the moon and saw the Earth just hanging there. And that became... Just hanging? Yeah, because, you know, it's like uh, Earth rise is literally what it was. But it's, it's positioned in the sky there. And there's this blue marble because it had swirly from the clouds and the ocean. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And that was the idea that, wow, you know, they, and and so they got pictures for and sent back, and it was televised, I think, that here's what your planet looks like. And that's kind of really the first time we ever were able to was far look enough. at ourselves so far away and, and see how fragile it really looks even when we were on the moon we couldn't well this is before we got to the moon i mean so okay. this is why it was the more significant because this uh, was this was what um oh about eight months nine months before they landed on the moon so it it um i'll I, have I to put a link to the picture and to the yeah look, do a search for anders a-n-d-e-r-s is the astronaut's name and then um you know, Earthrise. I think it's called Earthrise. And uh, he did several. He did them in black and white, and then they got out a roll of color film, and he, he took some color. But, uh, Very cool. Uh, but I, I think that, in terms of raising consciousness about humans and humanity, is, you know, I think it started to say, we should all be friends in a way. You know, look, we're all on this. We're all one, yeah. We're all one. We should, we should do things to encourage that and um and you know when this happened you go 50 years ago so you're in 1968 is when this happened and there were vietnam war protests there was everything the united states was like not much different than it is right now but <laughs> in terms of people arguing about things and and just factions and stuff like that and it kind of brought a peace to everybody really really did bring a peace when people realized that because they know and we're that. all yeah we're all together yeah there, you know so um well i think part of it also like with the different arguments and you know that m m mindset only attracts more of that right 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 and you know i uh i hope we have another 
type of significant event like that that will just kind of make us everybody I mean everybody in the world mm-hmm. nine billion people stop in and just reflect of our commonality yeah and um, and also you know the earth um, can be changed by us so we better watch out for it too you know you have to watch out for the earth we we are caregivers of earth we're not the owners of earth you know we have to make sure we I like take that. care of that so um, I, I, I hope something I don't know what it could be I do joke with friends it's aliens coming here you know they're going to whip us into shape but I don't think that's going to happen I think I think maybe we're going to find <laughs> maybe we'll just start seeing them <laughs> I don't know I don't know I've heard some wild stories well I will tell you one thing on this by the way this past summer a paper came out and there's something called the Drake Equation you might have recall I think you had a homework question on it about predicts <laughs> the probability of um, of intelligent life elsewhere in the universe and when Drake did this in the 60s I think we didn't know all the factors that go into it we've gotten better at knowing so anyway this paper uh, took a more serious analysis of the factors and the uncertainties with each one and came out and had a very surprising result Um, in terms of our galaxy the chance that we are alone ranges from 56 to 86 percent. Really? That we're alone, yes. And then when they expanded it to... That seems too high to me. I know, I know, but that was the shocking thing. So it's like more likely that there's no other intelligent life in our whole galaxy, which is just, Mm -hmm. to me, unfathomable that there couldn't be. And then the the second one they did, they looked at the whole universe in terms of known galaxies. And there it was more like 29 to 56%. So there, there was a greater chance yet of us having other creatures that are intelligent around, but still it wasn't like 99% or, or 1% that were alone and 99% that there's you know intelligent life there. So it's, it's kind of an interesting paper. Um, I haven't seen much feedback on it, but um, um, I found it fairly interesting. Uh-huh. Um, what's I just had a I had a question. Oh, uh, it kind of, might be like a little bit of a, a goofy question, but Earth is not the center of our galaxy. Right. But could it be the center of the whole universe? Yes and no, because. Everything is the center of the universe because we were all one when it started. Because we came out of energy. Yeah. And we still are. Yeah. And so you can say that, but the real answer is there is no center for the universe. I like that answer a lot. <laughs> all right. Dr. Olenek, what, with, with teaching the astronomy and... And your other courses, the physics, and in Russian even, and and I would love to have another conversation later about languages itself, but how is it that you really channel the passion and bring that every day to class? Because there's one thing I noticed and enjoyed about coming to your class, because although I wasn't an astronomy major or or anything, it was a class I was, I had to take, or I, I had, I think I had a choice. Um, 
I noticed and what I really enjoyed and why I'm also reaching out to you again is you you were really you are passionate about what you're what you're teaching and what you're learning about what 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 is there anything maybe during the day you you put into action you make sure you get done that really kind of brings the energy and you're like yes I get to learn more about astronomy today I would say in terms of things I do yes I probably read something new about it every day mm-hmm. you know, so I'm trying I'm I'm uh, you know, one of the great things about liberal arts education is you're supposed to be able to become a lifelong learner. And, I think everyone should. Yeah. yeah, and I think everyone should be, yes. And uh, I'm sad that I don't think most people are lifelong learners. You know, I think a lot of people just figure, oh, I just need to know this, that's all. But I think to be curious and to keep looking into things and, and not just, like, I just don't look into astronomy. I love philosophy. I like thinking of philosophical questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I like discussing history with people or sometimes art. You know, So I think it's um, just reflecting on stuff more. You know? that, get, that gets you up yeah, that and, gets me going. Yeah. and loving to come and teach to class. Yeah, and then, I, nice. and then there's a part of me I like communicating. I want others to have that. So uh, the passion is <laughs> I want them to explore these things and yeah. find out their... And find out what their... As we, I think we were talking about uh, before recording. You know, find what their astronomy is. Find what right. their, you know, big passion is. Right. That, that right. sparks that curiosity, you know? And because, we yeah, all have that. Because when you have your passion... You know, I'm very fortunate because my job is related to my passion. And that's what everybody should have. You know, mm-hmm. where, where it's... I never look at it as a job you know I look at it as it's fun get to work kids plus you stay young you know you, you're going to find out I told my class last semester that um, as you get older you're going to find out you're going to view yourself as a certain age and it'll probably be at an age where you really enjoyed everything and were probably learning a lot and stuff like this and you're always going to see yourself at that age. Ooh, okay. And, I mean, I do that. And, of course, I work with college, 18, 22-year-olds. So I see myself kind of as I was when I was a graduate student. And that's uh, how I still see. In fact, when I get up in the morning, I wish that old guy would move aside from the mirror so I could see myself. <laughs> and, uh, you should... Uh, <laughs> There's a, you can get the, like, telomere tests and stuff done and see, see what your biological age is. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. But, but I think um, you'll be surprised how you do, and, it, and it's just not me, it's everybody does this. I mean, I've talked to people about this. Yeah. And ask your parents, you know, how old do you feel inside? You know, not, not physically feel, but mentally or your, your whole being. You know, what age would yeah. you say you fit into? And it's not going to be the biological age at all. It's going to be much, much younger. No, you're right. And that, that's why a lot of people in their 60s and 70s, you know, are feeling like better than they've ever felt kind of stuff. Yeah. How do you avoid burnout then? You know, from from getting too much into it? Like, if because, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but if you were to, you know, study astronomy for 16 hours a day. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, um, 
Yeah, and yeah, I think we all get burnt out now and then. And for me, it's to do something different. Okay. Um, for example, um, I started last semester practicing the piano. I play the piano, but I used to be very good, but then once I started teaching, I... I'm looking for a teacher. I wasn't so consistent on practicing. So I bought a book of scales, I started practicing again, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing so much better. So I, I decided I'm gonna play for like an hour before I go to bed every night. It's very relaxing. That's nice. And I like that, and I feel more energized, I'd say, the next day when I do that. So, and in plus, I can see changes. I think we all like to see change or to accomplish something. I think that's basically human. And grow. So, grow, yeah. And so I can see that going on from this, and I just have to you know, get into and uh, And I, I would like to add, even, I feel like practicing, learning the piano or doing different things like you mentioned will also, will only increase the passion in, you know, astronomy and help maybe even spark some curiosity and lead to another finding or something. And it, it frees your mind in a sense. Because when I'm playing the piano, I'm not concentrating. You're in the zone. I'm there, I'm kind of wandering. In you're flow, yeah. Yeah. And it's like just, a kid. And when you're really into it, it's just like, I don't have to think. Yeah. Really? That's what I meant about like uh, the zone, you know? Yeah, yeah that's, that's... It's it's like uh, you're not playing the piano, the piano's, the piano's playing you yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I got two final questions. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure how, how long. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, what would you recommend somebody like myself recently out of college to get into maybe books to read as far as, uh, you know, what it, what piece of advice can you could you offer? So you want to read books on just life in general? Well, maybe maybe not so much the books. I don't know where that came from, but more so what what piece of advice would you offer somebody like myself right out of college or recently out of college? Okay, I would say. And for those <laughs> that are graduating, you know, this next semester. Yeah. I would say. Um, I gave a talk, by the way, to the senior class a few years ago, and I gave them five things. One was the first one was to buy an alarm clock, <laughs> because when you're when you're in the real world, you have to be on time. <laughs> so, so that a was, real one, not the phone. No, Get the real, phone out of the room. <laughs> a real one that's not next to your bed that you have to yeah. get up and turn on. But no, one of the things I said was um, record your grandparents. That's history. Have them talk about their childhood and stuff. I regret this. You know, I had an uncle who was in the Ukraine during the Russian Revolution. And he was a barber. I used to stop at his barber shop and he'd tell me what it was like to be there. And the differences between the White Army and the Bolshevik Army and, and things. And it just was fascinating. And I, I regret so much I didn't sit down and record it. So, yeah, I hope my dad's listening so he can finally let me record him. Yes, yeah, seriously, you should. I mean, you, you need... And now we can do video recording, so you know that's even better to get this. But I, I think that's that's an essential uh, thing everyone should do is 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 preserve that history and understand own history. And uh, another thing was to kind of um, it, it takes a while, especially for liberal arts students, to 
find what you're really passionate about and to be able to continue doing that. And so to not give hope on that. To always to not give, hope up. give up hope okay. yeah, on that. To, to keep searching for that. And you don't have to know now. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's it, one thing it I may worked take on. a year or two. And, then to, and I have seen this countless numbers of times with students uh, from UD that, you know, it's like they graduated a physics degree, you know, and then, whoa, they started their own company, you know, that's what they were good at. Um, one got his PhD from um, Harvard, and now he is a sports analytics analyst for Liverpool soccer. I mean, Interesting. So he, he totally different, but he he, you know, he said he loves it. That was a passion. He was able to combine sports and things. So, so it's just like you know, do that, and, and you'll you'll flourish. Yeah, you don't you'll have flourish. to don't have to stay in that one thing. Right. One thing I'm working on. Yeah. So I, I think that's to to you know give yourself a break in this sense. Don't be so hard on yourself. It takes a while. We we tend to be real critical of ourselves. And you have to step away and look at yourself and say, okay, I'm not doing so bad. You know, I'm growing and progressing. And, and just uh, don't look at the bad things so much. Look at the good things. So that's another... It's part of consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of raising consciousness. Yes, exactly. So um, those would be a couple of the major things that I would uh, state. Thank you. What... Is the gift you gift you wish to share with everyone listening and in the world? Wow, <laughs> that's difficult. Um, I mean, you kind of you touched on a bunch of few great points with the pieces of advice. This, I would say, I think you should always listen to everyone because you can learn something from even people you don't think you could in the strangest circumstances. I mean, if you're observant and listen to people when they're speaking with you, you, you can get insights into life, I think, that you never thought were possible. I, I have a New Year's resolution. I'm trying to engage everybody I meet more. So mm. in the supermarket... I talk with the clerk. I like that. Yeah. And, and, and I try not to do She's this. checking you out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, who's this uh, clerk? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, well, okay, but let me give you a question I posed to some friends the other day. Clerks have name badges. Will they feel offended if you call them by their first name? Or will they feel more comfortable that you're noticing their name? And you're using it. And I asked my friends... Could be they, both, you know? Yeah, well, I think it is both. So then, if you see these people repeatedly, you have to kind of gauge. When then would you start using the name or whatever? And But but you... you, you I would say always. You know, the person could take it uh, wrongly, but they, that's but on then them. if you do it again, they'll find out, well, you do this all the time, you know. It's kind of, I think it's kind of nice because it's... it's um, you know, when you know someone's name, that means you're wanting to know or know some more about them. Yeah, it's and the name is the most pleasant thing you can yeah. hear, yeah. your own name. Yeah, so so I think it's, um, I, I think, listen, I don't think people listen enough anymore. 
I think we're too full of ourselves or we're, we're busy looking at our phones. I think we need to, to just listen to people when they're in front of you. And uh, that would be my one thing I'd say. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you Thank for you. everyone tuning in. This has been another episode of the Gamut of Solomon podcast where I interview awesome people like Dr. Olenek. Dr. Olenek, how can anyone keep up with you or reach out to you? Maybe email if they have a question. Yeah, email. email. Olenek, O-L-E-N-I-C-K, at udallas.edu. Awesome. And if anybody looking to get into college and is uh, interested in the University of Dallas and the astronomy or physics program, definitely reach out to Dr. Olenek and this awesome place. So thank you again. Thank you, Dr. Olenek. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Gamut of Solomon podcast. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, share it with your loved ones on social media or text or email or or just do it. <laughs>